You need to respect the chair and shut your mouth. <laughs> One more reason we love Maxine Waters, because that was aimed at Jim Jordan, who was harassing Dr. Fauci, and boy, did he deserve that. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California, on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO Cottage Grove, KEPW Eugene. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we're on WLRI in Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP. Rochester, New York, WRFZ. New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ. Seattle, Washington, KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR. Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week and usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today... Once again, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler. I host the Nicole Sandler Show based at NicoleSandler.com to make it really easy to find us. Happy to be along for uh, this edition of the broadcast, and it is a busy day. And sadly, it feels like Groundhog Day in hell. Preliminary information at this time is that the alleged shooter has taken his own life here at the scene. After a preliminary search of the grounds, inside and out. We have located eight people at the scene with injuries consistent to gunshot wounds. Those eight were pronounced deceased here at the scene. We have been made aware of multiple other people with injuries who have been transported to local hospitals or who have transported themselves to local hospitals. IMPD detectives are working with the Indiana State Police detectives uh, gathering information and interviewing not just those people who are here at the scene um, but also those who have been have gone to uh, area hospitals seeking medical treatment a family unification center has been established at the holiday and express our victims assistance units and chaplain's office are here at the scene and at the Family Unification Center, assisting with family members who have shown up to this area. On Thursday night, right around 11 p.m. local time, a gunman killed eight people at a FedEx facility on the grounds of the Indianapolis International Airport. Four others were rushed to hospitals with gunshot wounds, one of them critical. Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department spokesperson Janae Cook was obviously shaken to the core when she addressed the press. It is very heartbreaking. And you know, Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, the officers responded, they came in, they went in and they did their job. And a lot of them are trying to face this because this is 
a sight that no one should ever have to see. The shooter was found dead nearby of apparent suicide. Police couldn't immediately determine a motive for the shooting. Just one more in a recent series of attacks across the country. But I was shocked that this story, a mass shooting, eight people dead, four more hospitalized, was not even the lead story on the major newscasts Friday morning, because we're numb to it. Another day, another mass shooting. Welcome to America. Sadly, today we're fighting these senseless murders committed not only by shooters like the one in Indianapolis, but by the very people whose job it is to serve and protect. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin on Thursday told the court in his murder trial for the death of George Floyd that he would not testify. Instead, said he would invoke his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination, and then the defense rested. Then, prosecutor Jerry Blackwell brought back Dr. Tobin, remember him, to testify as a rebuttal witness, countering a defense witness's suggestion that the tailpipe exhaust might have contributed to Floyd's death. Dr. Tobin said the level of carbon monoxide in Floyd's blood was normal when he died, after Chauvin pinned him to the ground for nine minutes with his knee on George's neck. And then the prosecution also rested its case, giving the judge and attorneys the chance to work out the jury instructions. Closing statements will happen Monday. And now we turn to Chicago, where Mayor Lori Lightfoot appealed for calm on Thursday after the release of body camera video showing a police officer shooting and killing 13-year-old Adam Toledo in March. On the video, you see that after a brief foot chase, the boy appeared to throw something behind a fence and then turned to face the officer with his hands up after the cop shouted, show me your hands. Toledo raised his hands which in that final frame of the video before he crumpled to the ground, were empty. Police did find a handgun by the fence. Lightfoot, the mayor and Toledo's family lawyer, said in a joint statement that releasing the video while hard was, quote, the first step in the process toward the healing of the family, the community, and our city. I don't think we're anywhere near healing. People are hurting right now. The Biden administration announced Thursday it would expel 10 Russian diplomats and impose new sanctions against Russia for the hacking of corporations and federal agencies and for meddling in last year's presidential election. The sanctions target six Russian companies believed to have supported the cyber attacks known as the SolarWinds breach. The U.S. also imposed sanctions on 32 individuals and entities suspected of helping the Kremlin interfere in the election with disinformation and other tactics designed to help the former guy win. The action signaled President Biden's desire to take a harder line against Russian President Putin than than Trump did. The 10 diplomats being kicked out include suspected Russian intelligence operatives. But wait, there's more. Inside the Treasury Department's public report on these new sanctions was a detailed revelation that Konstantin Kalimnik an associate of the former guy's campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, passed along Trump campaign polling data to Russian intelligence services back in 2016. Yeah. Kalimnik, who had already been identified in previous government investigations as a Russian intelligence operative, also, quote, sought to promote the narrative that Ukraine, not Russia, had interfered in the 2016 presidential election. This establishes for the first time that private meetings between Manafort, former Trump campaign aide Rick Gates, 
and Kalimnik were a, quote, direct pipeline from the campaign to Russian spies at a time when the Kremlin was engaged in a covert effort to sabotage the 2016 presidential election. I guess the former guy can no longer say, no collusion. Well, he can because he lies incessantly, but you knew that already. Well, on Thursday, a group of progressives from the House and Senate introduced a proposal to expand the Supreme Court from nine justices to 13. Well, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said that she has, quote, no plans to bring the bill to the House floor, although she said she supported President Biden's creation of a commission to examine possible changes to the high court. Those could include expansion, term limits or other reforms. Republicans, of course, are criticizing the proposal as an attempt to pack the court. In reality, it's the Republicans who've been packing the court. This proposal was a response to the Republicans' expansion of its majority to 6-3 by refusing to consider former President Obama's nomination of Judge Merrick Garland when he still had a year left in his term. Garland is now Biden's attorney general. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made a surprise trip to Afghanistan on Thursday in a show of support for the country's government. The visit came the day after President Biden announced plans to withdraw all remaining U.S. troops by the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks that prompted this America's longest war. The United States will remain Afghanistan's steadfast partner. We want the Afghan people countries in the region and the international community to know that fact. It's also a very important message for the Taliban to hear. Blinken met with Afghan President Ashraf Ghani and attempted to assure him that the Biden administration would do, quote, everything we can to push for a peace deal between Kabul and insurgent groups. Foreign forces under NATO command will also leave in coordination with the U.S. In COVID news, Almost half of the states saw an increase in coronavirus cases this week, and experts are urging people to maintain safety precautions and get vaccinated to avoid another spike. Vaccine hesitancy has become a problem, and even though more than 30% of U.S. adults have been fully vaccinated, the efficacy of rollouts has varied widely from state to state. And around the world, countries like India and Brazil continue to set daily records for new COVID-19 cases. Meanwhile, the U.S. government and Gavi, that's the Vaccine Alliance, have kicked off a pledging event aimed at raising $2 billion more to support vaccine distribution to lower income countries around the world. A new development in the investigation into the January 6th Capitol uprising, a guy named John Schaefer a heavy metal guitarist and self-described lifetime member of the Oath Keepers will become the first rioter to plead guilty to charges based on his participation in the attack, and he's expected to enter into a cooperation agreement with the government. Uh Uh-huh. This move came at an unannounced proceeding before U.S. District Court Judge Amit Mehta on Friday morning. Meta acknowledged that the deal included a cooperation agreement. Schaefer, who was seen on camera deploying chemical spray at officers, will plead guilty to charges that he obstructed Congress's effort to certify the 2020 election results and that he unlawfully entered a restricted building. So there's that. And then there's this. I think President Biden has just broken his first campaign promise. 
He's apparently decided not to lift the cap on refugees for the current fiscal year from the level set by the Trump administration. This, according to a senior administration official speaking on the condition of anonymity. This is a big change from Biden's original proposal to Congress that he lift the cap from 15000 to 62005 and then push it to 125000 the following year. Instead, Biden is adjusting the allocation limits set by Trump, which officials have said have been the driving factor in limiting refugee admissions. The new allocations provide more slots for refugees from Africa, the Middle East and Central America and lift Trump's restrictions on resettlements from Somalia, Syria and Yemen. Uh, As far as I can tell, no word on what will happen the following year. I guess we wait and see. But this is the first broken promise that I've identified from this administration. But wait, there's some late breaking news. This from Jim Acosta at CNN, who just tweeted moments ago, after blowback from progressives, the White House announces Biden will set an increased refugee cap next month. Jen Psaki saying, quote, we expect the president to set a final increased refugee cap for the remainder of this fiscal year by May 15th. I love it when they listen to us. All righty then. All right, I got one more for you. But we need some appropriate music. The Defense Department has confirmed that leaked photos and video of unidentified aerial phenomena, as they describe them, taken in 2019, are indeed legitimate images of unexplained objects. Photos and videos of triangle-shaped objects blinking and moving through the clouds were taken by Navy personnel. This according to Pentagon spokesman Sue Gao in a statement to CNN. She also confirmed that photos of three unidentified flying objects, one sphere-shaped, another acorn-shaped, and one characterized as a metallic blimp, were also taken by Navy personnel. We are not alone. And they're probably appalled at all the shootings here in the United States. Just saying. And as if all that's not enough, there are a couple more stories to tell you about. We'll be joined later in the hour by Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. But first, coming up next, we're going to check in with my congressman. You may not know this, but I live in Florida. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Believe me, I I have all those thoughts, too. Anyway, Ted Deutsch has been the representative for Florida's 22nd congressional district, I want to say for about 10 years now, and he has progressively moved a little bit more progressive. And I reached out to him because it was just a few weeks ago that he finally signed on as a supporter or co-sponsor of Medicare for All. So I wanted to thank him. And then, you know, look, we live, this district includes Parkland, Florida. It's the next town over from me. Uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School is about 10 minutes from my house. So Ted Deutsch is no stranger to all of these shootings. It is now one of his main issues. So we'll be right back with my congressman, Ted Deutsch. Coming up next, I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. 
We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. listening to the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your semi-regular guest host, filling in for Brad and Desi again today. You know, my show airs live weekdays, 5 p.m. Eastern at NicoleSandler.com slash listen dash live and the Progressive Voices Network. And I'm based in South Florida. And on Monday, I started the week with a conversation with my congressman, Ted Deutsch. I've known Ted Deutsch for a long time. I first met him when he was a state legislator here before he moved to Congress. And it's been an interesting progression as Ted Deutsch was not always very progressive. He was more centrist and he was always a good guy. But me being me, I would criticize because I didn't feel that he was moving in a progressive enough direction. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, when the progressives in Congress, led by Pramila Jayapal, introduced uh, Medicare for All, Ted Deutsch had signed on to it and participated in the launch. I was so excited. I texted him. I still have his cell phone number from the days when he was in the legislature to thank him. And then I sent a note to his office inviting him on my show. And because we talked about a lot of things, not only Medicare for all, but the recent spate of gun violence, I thought it was timely. Um, I, I, which we, we talked about because the district includes Parkland, Florida, where the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, high school massacre happened. Um, it's a familiar, it's a topic he's unfortunately all too familiar with. And given what we've experienced over the last few weeks, I thought this is an important topic to bring up. And, and there was another mass shooting on Thursday night. It just never ends. So with that, I say, welcome to my Congressman Ted Deutsch. It's so good to see you. Great to see you, too. It's a pleasure. Have you been? You know, <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, just hanging in there. I've been staying home. For, I've been home for the last year uh, since March 22nd when we shut down Broward County. I had been volunteering all every weekend at the Broward County animal shelter, um, helping to get dogs adopted. It was the best thing. I was going every weekend for the previous year, working to help get those dogs out of there and find them homes. And then on March 22nd, we were shut down. And since then I've been home and I finally got, I got my second Moderna shot two weeks ago, last Wednesday. So I'm, I'm good. Fantastic. Yeah. So I got to see my kid. I got to hug her last Wednesday. Uh, so, so great. you know, slowly but surely. And how are you doing? You all vaccinated and, and good to go? Uh, yeah, doing okay. And, um, you know, it's starting to, we're, we're starting to see some, some changes and people are getting vaccinated and uh, we've worked really hard to, to make sure that, that after the American Rescue Plan passed, that uh, it was going to provide the benefits that it's supposed to, so people can can start to to get back on their feet and and uh, hopefully get out there a little bit. So, 
we're we're uh, we're moving forward. Yeah, right? please the, accept. Right, but the problem is, uh, Congressman Deutsch, um, no. we have you know we have a governor in this state who you know didn't want to take any precautions, and therefore we now find Florida among the the hardest hit states in this latest surge, and uh, likely I'm guessing a lot of it had to do with spring break. Yeah, look, the the concern all along with the the governor is that he. He, he wasn't transparent about anything he was doing. It was impossible to get any information going back to the very beginning, the very beginning, uh, more than a year ago when that cruise ship, the cruise ships docked here and there were cases on there and we couldn't even, uh, we couldn't even get information from him about that. And then carrying all the way through and decisions made about how they were going to report uh, COVID tests and COVID deaths and, uh, and right up through where we are now, and all we said all year, uh, Nicole, and we were really clear about this is, look, we all want the same thing, but it's not to reopen. It's to reopen safely and get people back to work. It's not just to have businesses operate. It's to have them operate well. And and th- the idea was to get people the help that they needed. And that's what we tried to do. And we had a hard time getting it from the last administration. Unfortunately, we're now we're now getting it from President Biden and his administration. Thankfully. And I noticed like that, for instance, starting today, the Hard Rock Stadium, that's the big stadium just off yeah. the turnpike, is you don't even need an appointment. Just go and show up. And I guess if you're 18 or older, you can get vaccinated. So good. And I hope everybody does, because I, I want to get back to normal, although it's going to be a while before, you know, I, I, I'll feel safe going to an event like I saw the baseball game where they had they were in Texas at full capacity. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I I, yeah, just I, I think people need to be responsible. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's been made political, a political thing. And it shouldn't be wearing a mask or getting vaccinated doesn't have politics. They the COVID doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else. Yeah, that's for sure. And we all want the we all want the same thing. We all want to get through this, and um, and even just list continuing to listen to to what we're told. If you've been vaccinated, that's great. But continue to wear a mask yes. when you're out in public. Of course. And if you're home with other people who are vaccinated, you're good. Then you don't. But but yeah. But when you're out, just do what you can. We want to continue to to protect the people around us and to help the community get to the point where everything can really try to get back to normal. And that's the goal. <laughs> So, Congressman Ted Deutsch, I fired off um, a text to you because I still have your phone number from the days when you were in the Florida State uh, Legislature. Um, It's nice to know your local representatives because one of these days they could wind up in Congress. And and I had to text to thank you um, for stepping up in favor of Medicare for all. Um, I know this was a long battle. I know you you had your reservations about it. Um, but I also on the day that it, that you came out and said, yes, I'm I'm all in. It was an event that the Progressive uh, Caucus put together, I believe, with the Pramila Jayapal. And it was an online event. And you warmed my heart so much that you 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 called out my old friend, the late Mitchell Stolberg, who worked so tirelessly for Medicare for all. And and thank you yeah. for recognizing him. We lost Mitchell last year and just uh, just a huge loss to to the progressive activist community here in South Florida. He was the guy in Broward County um, and we are, we are left with a with a real hole in his place. So thank you for recognizing him. Uh, of course, Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell was um, was such a great advocate and fighter. And I think I might have said this at that event. 
Uh, every time we held a town hall meeting, he uh, Mitchell got there early, <laughs> planted himself in the first row right. with a whole series of signs, Medicare for all, and whatever other issue he was, he was um, putting whatever great progressive cause he was championing that day. And, um, and he had an impact. And um, look, we, we, um, uh, I have such admiration for people who commit themselves to, to the fight. And that's, that's what I do. That's what you do. And we're all trying to, to make things better and give, give more people more opportunities to succeed and, and access to healthcare and, and, and more justice and a more just and equitable society. And, and for somebody like Mitchell to, to take the time, even when he was sick, when he was sick so yeah. sick at the end and he just kept going and, I am sorry that uh, sorry he's no longer with us, but we we clearly did. he left a big legacy. And, yes, and he we did. Continue to be inspired. By yes, he did. he did. And in fact, because of Mitchell, I became a precinct committee woman. So I'm involved All in right. a way I never was before because, you know, I have my issues with the party. But I, I think you can you have to affect change from the inside and the outside. So. I'm 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 honoring Mitchell's legacy like this. So anyway, no, Congressman Ted Deutsch, glad to hear you're with the, with the uh, program now. And it's there's an interesting news story today saying that there is a kind of a battle uh, with the administration, that there's one contingent um, led by Nancy Pelosi that wants to see. Uh, the monies used from the the rescue plan and the infrastructure, whatever monies are available to shore up. Uh, the Affordable Care Act to make subsidies more um, uh, larger, which, in fact, uh, just an aside here, they are, because I went on mm-hmm. healthcare.gov last week for both myself and my daughter. We're, we both have our health insurance through healthcare.gov, and I was able to lower, and I didn't have to do anything. You just report a life change and go through the whole application again. Mm-hmm. Didn't really change anything, but our premiums both were lowered by about $100 a month. Yeah, the American Rescue Plan among the many things that it did it it covers first of all it covers six months of uh of cobra it increases the subsidies as you point out which is mm-hmm. a really big deal it is a big deal and and what should be a big deal in florida especially is it boosts the medicaid expansion incentives Ooh. so our our budget in florida could save three and a half billion dollars but our governor um over the objection in this case of not just not just progressives and not just healthcare professionals and advocates, but over the objection of the business community and our hospitals, just refuses to expand Medicaid. And and the result is that that so many in Florida are our most vulnerable and continue to be left uh, unprotected without Medicaid expansion. Right. And, uh, and it's it's awful. And that's. That's why we've got to look for ways to, to make sure that we get everybody access to, to quality health care. Absolutely. And and well, and this is a little off topic, but elect a Democratic governor in 2022, please. We need to get rid of the guy there now because he's horrible. But anyway, back to the story um, here. Let me yeah. read to you. Top Democratic allies are pushing the White House in different directions over whether to use an upcoming spending package to strengthen the Affordable Care Act or expand Medicare eligibility. Nancy Pelosi is pushing them to make permanent a temporary expansion of Affordable Care Act subsidies, while Senate Budget Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders is arguing for reducing the Medicare eligibility age to 55 or 60 and expanding dental, vision, and hearing coverage. I'm act. I'm obviously with Bernie, um, uh, and I, I'm. Uh, are you part of this fight now? 
Look, the the reason the the reason that uh, I signed on to Medicare for all, the reason that I think it's so important that we're having this this conversation is because we've got to figure out how to close the gaps that exist. Yeah. How do we um, how do we help address the inequities in healthcare? How do we make sure that everybody is covered? How do we improve Medicare um, to to get more people the access to, to the quality care they need? So as as this plays out that's that's got to be what guides this mm-hmm. Nicole, we've got to be talking about what's the best thing we can do uh, to help help the largest number of people and to get them access to, to quality care and it's a really important conversation that we're having and it all the most important thing here is everybody who's involved in this conversation i think we've now reached the point where it's it's no longer controversial to say this i think everyone now just acknowledges that in america Healthcare access to healthcare um, is a right that it, it shouldn't be something that's reserved only uh, only for some people. We shouldn't get used to. It's not right for us to just expect that tens of millions of Americans won't be able to to afford it. And uh, and when you start there, then this is the kind of discussion that we're having, and right. it's going to play out over the over the coming weeks and months. Well, at least we're having the discussion. Um, So that's good. And we're moving in the right direction. So that's good. There's something else. And uh, I I knew I wanted to talk with you about it today. I didn't realize how many incidents there would be in the few days leading up to our conversation. But uh, there was another school shooting today in Knoxville, Tennessee. It just happened, so I don't know if there are any casualties, but at least one police officer was shot and numerous people were hit. That's what we know. We don't know unless it's changed in the half 45 minutes I've been on the air if anyone was killed or not. The bottom line is this has got to stop. This is after, you know, days, just how many shootings in the last few weeks. And I mistakenly said, uh, you know, we got a little bit of a reprieve with COVID where the school shootings calmed down. Well, yeah, because schools were closed. But now they're while they're open, their shootings are happening again. And there are mass shootings every day. We just don't hear about all of them because not enough people were killed, which is kind of a perverse, um, you know, reason to report on one story and not on another. The fact of the matter is we've got a horrible uh, gun epidemic, a murder epidemic in this country. You, Ted Deutsch, are the chief whip of the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force in the Congress. Did that happen after Parkland? And my listeners know Parkland is in our district. It's right down the street. Uh, Yeah, it it did. Look, these are issues that I've I've worked on since I've been in Congress. And uh, and it was always it, it was shocking to me and i think everyone was so angry over the fact that we couldn't bring ourselves the congress can bring itself to take action after uh sandy hook after 26 and 7 year old kids were slaughtered and then parkland happened and when it happens in your district and you and you get to know the families the way that i have and not just the families in parkland but as a result i've gotten to know so many people from around the country um I look at what happened today, and there was just something on Twitter before I got on with you, Nicole, about uh, about how they were setting up an area for families to go to wait for news. Yeah, and I, oh, and I, I, I mean, the families in Parkland. I've had these conversations with them. They've talked openly about what it was like to go and sit and wait and wait and wait and wait, and, wait and finally, if you're still there, that's the, that just 
proves that that the horrible news is what's coming. It's so painful and it's so unacceptable. And we've said now for for months that the only reason there haven't been more school shootings is because people aren't in school. Right. And today is just another reminder of that. And look, you're right. It's the same thing every time. There's an announcement that there is a shooting and multiple people have been shot. And then we all get really angry and we pray that it's a low number, that maybe no one died, or right. if they did, maybe it's a small number. But we just expect these things to happen, and they and we can't accept it as normal. No. We can't. And yet, in the last two weeks, I mean, we can reel off South Carolina, where the sixth person, the one who was injured, died. Um, uh, Boulder, Colorado, which was a place that I loved and now forever is tainted because it's the site of another mass shooting. Um, uh, where was the other? You know, they run together and you forget. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't even remember where that third one was. And it just happened. And how can we? It's it's too much for any mind to handle. And yet still nothing. So Joe Biden, our new president, issues some executive orders last week. But there's only so much he can do with with a pen. Um, what did these executive orders accomplish? Anything? Uh, they do. He's he's right to take up the issue of of ghost guns and gun kits. Right. Mm-hmm. He's right to take up the issue of red flag laws so mm-hmm. that we can get guns out of the hands of of people who pose a risk to themselves or others. Uh, he, the person that he picked to run ATF uh, is a uh, is someone who knows these issues uh, and will be able to to get a lot done. But on the things that he talked about, these are all things that Congress is, is sitting on. On red flag laws, I've introduced legislation that that we ought to pass um i've introduced i've got a bill that's going to outlaw high capacity magazines because nobody Please. needs to fire off 50 or 100 rounds at one time it's crazy um, the same thing is true in ghost guns there are lots of bills there's a the fact fact is nicole there's so much legislation that's sitting out there banning assault uh, assault weapons which don't weapon these are weapons of war they don't belong in our communities We've done this before. We, we know what to do. We just have to have the will to do it. So what the president did was really, really important. Now he needs to follow that up and really lean on Congress and the Senate in particular to continue to take action and be bold and send things to his desk that can help save lives. And today's another reminder that there is literally no time to waste because for, for the people in Knoxville today, and I, I haven't seen numbers and I hope no one died, but but there were people shot yep. and and for them and their families, it's too late. It is. And it's too late for Parkland and it's too late for Boulder and it's too late for Atlanta. So Atlanta. by God, let's Atlanta. take action. Yes, it was Atlanta. I, and, you know, it just it, it turns my stomach as I know it does yours. And it's just so it, it shouldn't be happening. You know, a few years ago, I wrote an article because I believe the only way to get the Republicans in this country in Congress to do anything is to hit them in the pocketbook. And I really think that other countries need to issue travel advisories and tell their citizens, do not travel to the United States of America it is not safe. It doesn't matter what town you go to, what city, walking down the street, your chances of getting shot are pretty good. So go anywhere else in the world. Don't go to the United States. Would that motivate any of them if it hurt our tourism industry? 
Well, we've already seen the response from places around the world. They don't understand it. They can't understand how this happens over and over and over again. I get asked about it. Uh, I'm, I do a lot of work in foreign affairs. I get asked about it by, by diplomats. I get asked about it when I travel to these countries. They can't understand how we just accept this, how it just happens again and again. So we're already seeing that when the president says, as he said last week, that this is an international embarrassment. It is. He's exactly he's exactly right, which is why we need to act. It's not just and it's not just because it's it's a, a bold measure and that it's time to, to take that kind of step. It's that we're alone in the world on this. Mm-hmm. And and it's this is the reputation that we have. And as you point out, whether other countries say something formally or not, people think about this issue now. When they think of the United States, they think about gun violence. And that's something that we ought to strive to change. Without a doubt. There's so many things I would love to talk to you about. And I know your time is limited. You're back in session tomorrow, right? Congress has yeah. been out for two weeks. You go back tomorrow. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, do you think if if the filibuster wasn't a question, would the House be able to get gun legislation done that if it were no filibuster uh, could get through the Senate? Or is it uh, uh, the yeah. problem in both sides? Well, look, the House, the House passed the universal background checks. Mm-hmm. It's a it, there, it is no there's no question. It's a bill that will help save lives. Yep. Simply requiring everyone who buys a firearm to to go through a background check isn't controversial. No, it's a no brainer. And yet, yeah, it should be a no brainer. But the Senate won't do it because of the filibuster. Um, I think the filibuster doesn't exist uh, to give people who don't believe in common sense gun safety measures, the ability to block them, if anything, make them stand up. Let let Marco Rubio go That's stand right. on the Senate floor and yes. Rick Scott stand on the yes. Senate floor and, and have to explain why they're opposed to, to basic common sense measures that are supported by the vast majority of the American people. They would lose and we would be able to send this to the president's desk. And and there are I mentioned some of the other things that, that are out there that we can pass and we need the Senate to, to take them up and the Senate can pass them. There is a majority. And Nicole, I, I can't let it, especially uh, when there's an awful school shooting like yes. this. I can't I can't let this pass without pointing out that in in so many ways, the reason that we're in the majority in the House, the reason that we took back the House majority was because so many people got energized by the young people of Parkland and Coral right. Springs who who created this movement and that made gun safety an issue in the election and it delivered a majority in the house it delivered a majority in the senate joe biden is the president um these young people aren't stopping they're sick of of seeing what's going on around them whether it's in their schools or on the way to school or in the in the neighborhood on the on a porch and so the we've got the majority on our side only in Washington is this controversial. Yeah. And if the senators continue to show this lack of courage, then they're going to be former senators. And, and we're going to get things done. I'm absolutely confident. I, I certainly hope so. I, I hope you're right. You know, and Florida, we, we could do, do much better than Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. You know, the, Florida has a reputation. There, I tend to call it Florida for good reason. There, you know, I, I wanted to bring up Matt Gates. 
um, uh, which I hope we get him, see him, call him former congressman and, uh, you know, see him up on charges soon. I can ask you about it. I know you're head of the ethics committee. And as such, because there's an ethics investigation into him, you can't comment on him, right? <laughs> that is that is correct. The um, we we made an announcement on Friday about the investigation that we started, and, and I unfortunately can't talk about matters as they proceed. Gotcha. Um, we can talk about the fact, though, that we do have another open seat. Um, Alcee Hastings died last week, so yeah. we need to have a special election. Is there any indication from <clears throat> our governor as to when we will have a special election to fill that seat with hopefully a non-crazy person? Uh, I, I've not heard anything from the governor yet. Hopefully he will acknowledge that, um, the, the people of, of, uh, Congressman Hastings, the late Congressman Hastings district deserve to have a representative mm-hmm. that, and that he should move as quickly as he can to schedule that. Um, I, I, I hope that he does. And there are lots and lots of people who, um, who have announced, or I think like we will announce that they're running, um, but for any of them, Alcee's shoes are very, very big shoes to fill. He was um, he was a towering figure in South Florida, in the House, um, in the black community. Mm. Uh, he was an icon, um, and he was a really good friend and mentor to me. Oh, so he's, he's really going to be missed. All right. Uh, Congressman Ted Deutsch, I know you're busy. You've got a lot of work ahead of you still at 6 o'clock at night. But I, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope we can do this from time to time. It's nice to show the rest of the world that Florida is not all Florida, that we have some really good members of Congress. And I, I'm so glad you're my congressman. Um, thank you again for the work uh, you're doing. I appreciate that a lot. I'd love to do this again. Thanks, Nicole. Not too bad, right? That's my congressman, Ted Deutsch. If you're interested in more, you can go to his website at tedforcongress.com. I guess it's because Deutsch is confusing to spell. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a timeout, quick timeout, and come back on the other side with Ryan Grimm. He's the D.C. Bureau Chief for The Intercept. And he broke the story this week about uh, Democratic efforts to expand the Supreme Court. And he also has some information about the PRO Act which he'll explain because it's really important. And a couple other things, too. So stick around. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on The Bradcast. You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. If you want to know about the bishop and the actress. If you want to know how to be a star. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm your guest host today, Nicole Sandler, filling in for Brad and Desi. Um, I told you earlier, there were a few stories that I didn't get to in the first news segment of the program. So now we're going to check in with Ryan Grimm. He's the D.C. Bureau Chief at The Intercept. Ryan, you had a big scoop the other morning. I woke up in the middle of the night, as I tend to do, and saw your story that the Democrats or some in the Democratic Party in Congress were going to introduce uh, legislation to expand the Supreme Court from nine justices to 13. And lo and behold, yesterday, everybody else had the story. And I I was pleased to see many of them credited you with with, uh, breaking it. Um, So that happened yesterday. A group of progressives actually introduced, uh, if not the legislation, a proposal to do this, right? How did it go over? 
Well, the, on the on the right, uh, it it cre- it created uh, absolute uh, apoplectic apoplectic outrage for a, a day, and and you'll probably continue to hear about it, you know, over the course of the next year and a half. And I suspect Republicans will actually use it as part of their kind of get out the vote strategy for the midterms in 2022, that if you, if you don't take back the house or the Senate, uh, you know, Democrats are going to expand the court. And one of the first things they talk about is they're going to expand the court and they're going to take away your guns, (laughs) uh, which is, you know, very interestingly, not really in the top 10, probably priorities, gun safety legislation for for Democrats who are pushing um, to, to expand the court uh, because there is a lot they can do legislatively around gun control that they don't that they just don't have the votes for yet first you know the filibuster is in the way uh and often they don't control uh they don't control congress so that's not actually kind of the 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 driving force here republicans also talked about they're going to take away your your christian liberties right Uh, of course you you know undo the country that you and 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 your and your way of life uh Democrat Nancy Pelosi has said she's not going to bring it to the floor. Um, So, but what, what this is though, is it's a, a threat. It's, it's kind of a sword that is hanging over the Supreme court. Uh, It's not that sharp yet. It's not held by that many hands, uh, but it is hanging there. And so what they're trying to do is get into the heads of Supreme Court justices hmm. who are thinking about how far they can push their politics with each successive decision. And they and they want them to think, okay, if I push too far, is there going to be a political backlash that will come in the form of a political attack on this on the Supreme Court? Everybody talks about how FDR's court packing failed in the 1930s. And that's true in the sense that he did not expand the size of the court, but the court also surrendered Mm. the court. The court spent the early thirties striking down, you know, every new deal piece of legislation that came before it. After that, they started waving through the new deal. The only reason that we have a court now that says that all of these different new deal laws are, are constitutional is because is because they retreated in, in the face of this threat. Oh, interesting. So I shouldn't be that uh, upset that Nancy Pelosi pushed back and said, I'm not bringing it to the floor. It's just well, you a, should. Okay. You should, because that that dulls the that dulls the, the blade. Night, right. Okay. So now Amy Coney Barrett's like, well, I was going to be nervous about overturning Obamacare or whatever else. Uh, but Pelosi has said that she's not going to put it on the floor. Now, she also knows that uh, Democrats can change their minds. You know, if if you you have to ask yourself what kind of decision could the Supreme Court issue that would get Democrats to change their minds on that? Democrats like Nancy Pelosi, and it's it's certainly not it's not clear. Right. Um, uh, but you know, it, it, what 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 Jerry what Jerry Nadler, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, being involved with this is saying is that it's within the realm of possibility. Okay, and and that's encouraging. I mean, for those of us who are just, you know, sitting back going, how did we get here and what are they going to do about it? So at least there is some effort by the progressive faction of Congress to do something about it. And hopefully they've got the ball rolling and 
something will come of this. Um, Ryan Grimm, I also want to ask you about um, a story that you've been writing about, um, uh, the bill, the the PRO Act. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't covered it much. Can you explain what it is and why you're saying Senator uh, Mark Kelly of Arizona might be uh, a hold up here? The the PRO Act is borderline kind of revolutionary labor law reform. Mm. The, The last effort to significantly reform uh, labor laws that that came very close to passage was in the late 19 uh, was in the 1970s under under the Carter administration they came one vote short they felt like okay we we, we didn't we didn't we didn't make it this time we'll you know we'll get it next time as as we know there was no next time instead there was Ronald Reagan and there was the decimation of organized labor over over the next 40 years in 2009. Uh, organized labor push what was called EFCA, the Employee Free Choice Act, right. which would basically make uh, which would basically make it so that unions didn't have to go through elections like they just lost in in Bessemer, Alabama, Alabama. Right. and that if you got a majority of your of workers to sign a card saying that they support joining a union then the NLRB would have to, you know, certify that those are actual workers of cards are legit. And then boom, your, your union is recognized without having to go through this, this process whereby the, the company gets all of this, all of this time to, you know, basically coerce workers into changing their minds and, and backing up and backing out of the union. Right. Uh, because, you know, they, they had 60 Democrats in the Senate, they had a chance, but right out of the bat, uh, a couple of Democrats, Ben Nelson and some others, said, we're not doing this. Right. And uh, remember and that. Even... I mean, it, it, it mm-hmm. was, what, 11, 12 years ago now. But right. yeah, they called it card check. But it, right. which card check. Right. right. But the Employee right. Free Choice Act, which then we've heard nothing about since. And here we are. Again. Right. Right. And there, and there wasn't enough pressure at the time to get rid of the, the filibuster. Uh, you know, they didn't do it on judges until 2013. And so right. and so that effort died. So. Labor went back to the drawing board and ha- and basically put together, you know, their their wish list of of labor reforms, and they put it into what's called the the Pro Act, protecting the right to organize, and it would uh, it would make it much easier to organize. It would expand the category of of who's able to organize. It would make it much harder for companies to union bust. It would make it a, a lot of the tactics that these union busting law firms. Uh, have used either illegal or or much more onerous for them to pull off. It would strengthen the NLRB in a way that would tip the balance of power uh, toward workers. It is it is kind of as a lot of companies' worst nightmare. It, it is you know if it passed as it is, it would it would dramatically expand uh, worker rights. It would it would pr- possibly double union density. It would create you know a base wow. of organized workers wow. that. Or groups like the Democratic Socialists of America think are are necessary in order to accomplish their other goals. And so, you know, for example, you know, in DSA, the the Green New Deal Coalition is actually the Green New Deal Committee is actually making the PRO Act their their number one priority. Oh, really? Nice. Uh, because they feel like if you want to get a Green New Deal, you have to build up this this mass base of of workers first, True. who are who are then going to you know bring pressure to bear you know for the Green New Deal for uh, Medicare. For all, it's you know Angus King today uh, finally uh, joined, and so there are now forty six co sponsors. We had reported earlier that, that he was very close to signing on, and that he'd been inundated by phone calls, both in support and against, because this is 
chamber of commerce, capital, the boss class employers. This is the number one thing that, you know, that they, that they're fighting in this Congress. Wow. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be very hard to get it passed, but the, the fact that it's even a possibility has, has generated, you know, uh, millions of dollars of, of, of lobbying by, sure. by, by the capital class uh, against it. So there are now four senators left. Four. Let me guess. Let me guess. You got Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, right? Um, Now, Mark Kelly, who doesn't Mm -hmm. want to be alone in Arizona. Well, duh. Um, There's only two of you. So you're going to follow everything Kirsten Sinema does. And that leaves the fourth one. Um, Who would be against the PRO Act? Um, I, I'm guessing it's it's one of the one of the senators from Delaware or one of the senators from New Hampshire who have both been a thorn in the side of the Democrats on other issues. Am I wrong? Those those would be good guesses, but because Joe Biden is supportive of it, ah, Delaware's both in. both the Delaware senators okay. are there. Like the Delaware senators, they're going to do they're going to do whatever Joe Biden tells them to do. And so that's actually one reason I'm not worried about the Delaware senators okay. when it comes to the $15 wage, even though they both voted against it because Biden was against doing that parliamentarian thing. Right. And so if you can get it to the floor, Biden's has said he supports 15. Uh, he will push those. Okay. He, we won't even have to push them. Got it. So Coons them. and Carper are with Biden. They'll do what he right. says. They're, so that leaves Hassan right. and, uh, and, uh, um, um, Oh, I'm tr- uh, Maggie Hassan and who's uh, the the other one from New Hampshire? I'm drawing a blank now. I just oh, yeah. it. who is uh, um, Shaheen Jean Shaheen? Uh, they are both co-sponsors. Really of of the Pro Act uh, to understand the true politics of of the Pro Act uh, would actually lead you to to who the, the this final holdout is, and it's because it's such a class based. Uh, it's more class than it is pure raw electoral politics. One of the richest senators is Mark Warner. Oh, Virginia. Virginia. Mm. And he, and he made this fortune in, uh, in telecoms. It's, it's weird how, you know, he basically, there was an auction that he had inside track on and he was able to control a bunch of broadband space that as they were converting, the, the government was selling off a bunch of space. He got his hands on it uh, and he turned that into a fortune. And so naturally, uh, we understand our capitalist class quite well. Oh, yes. That means that means that he considers himself to be a business genius. <laughs> and so, you know, he very much identifies with this capitalist class and 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 identifies with the business leaders around the country and the those business leaders are extraordinarily hostile to this legislation. And so in order to get him, you're, you're going to have to either have some amount of just raw political power that, that pushes him there, which would be, you know, basically there, you have 49 votes and you blow up the filibuster and you say, Mark Warner, are you really the one that's going to stand in the way? I think that's, I think that's actually the way you get him. Or you'd have to find some kind of progressive minded business class that that could that could lobby him and say like th- this is why this is actually good for business because he's he's such a kind of pro business ideologue right that uh, but I think the former is more likely sure than the latter. but that Joe, that that you know. says you've you've gotten Mansion and Cinema on board right. first which is also a heavy right, lift Man- Mansion's actually probably more gettable on really? this than he is on other things because West Virginia has you know thirteen plus percent union density West Virginia also has a proud 
you know, labor history mm-hmm. you know, that, that it's, it's part of their kind of mythology of West Virginia is, is militant organized labor. Uh, that that's still a, a backbone of what's left of, of Democrats in that state. So any, any future that he wants to have is going to, is going to involve organized labor. So I think he's gettable too. whether or not uh, cinema and Kelly are is, is another question that, you know, Arizona has like 5% union density. Right. It's, you know, there's basically very little organized labor presence. And if Democrats want to say that they got close but unfortunately couldn't make it. They could use cinema as kind of the scapegoat, um, you know, for, for not getting this, uh, getting this over the, over the finish line. But I think, gotcha. and, and people don't, people think it's very unlikely that she would, that she would sponsor it, but that if you get it onto the floor, she would vote for it. Now, in order to do this, you also have to get rid of the filibuster. Right. Right, exactly, because you're certainly not going to get ten no, uh, Republicans right. to go along no. with it, and you this got, won't you, go you, through you reconciliation. You five, you've, shockingly, you got four or five Republicans in the House to vote for it, but uh, you know a lot of people in the House didn't think it ever had a chance in the right. Senate, and so uh, votes like that are less serious, which actually relates to the whole debate over whether you should put Medicare for all on the floor. When, when members of Congress don't think something's going to pass, yeah. um, th- then, then they just do what's purely in their you know, immediate interests right. uh, rather than worrying about the consequences of it actually passing. And so a, a decent number of Democrats, I think, voted for the PRO Act who wouldn't if they thought that their vote Could was going to be the one that right. put it over the wow. finish line. So in, in a way, you got to seize this opportunity and say, thanks, suckers. Um, now it's time to push it through the Senate. But like I said, this is this is going to be a, a huge, huge climb. But the fact that, that the business community is, is so focused on this is a sign that it's not impossible. The business community is not here you know, to waste money for no reason. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So that, but this is, this is, well, it's a good, it's a step in the right direction. Anyway, um, Ryan Grimm, one last question. You are the DC bureau chief for the intercept. Uh, DC got one step closer to becoming a state yesterday, didn't it? Right. I mean, this, this is, this is the same question. Um, do Democrats have any interest in, in actually playing power politics? And it, you know, if they do, they would, they would pass the pro act that, mm-hmm. you know, that it expands the base of voters who would support them. Uh, they would pass HR one, you know, which, which then, which Please. funds progressive challenges, Before the people which, act, right. which, which then expands the number of people who are eligible to vote and blocks gerrymandering so that, that Democrats can actually compete uh, fairly. Uh, they would end the filibuster so they can pass this legislation and they would, and they would do DC statehood, which, which, which would give us uh, two is, more senators. It, it's the, and it's the right thing to do. Yes. Um, you know, why, why don't I get to vote for a Senator? That's ridiculous. For a member of the house of representatives, yeah. that's not right. Nope. Uh, and I just on a very basic level, that's, that's not right. That's it. Uh, that, that, but that's also it. it would bring, like you said, two extra senators. Mm-hmm. And that's always why these, they, they've added new <laughs> states. Wow. Interesting. All right. So a lot, lot going on. And this is just a slice of everything exploded last night. So I'm going to, I'm going to end it here. Ryan Grimm, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today and, and enlightening us on these issues. Always appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And with that, we've reached the end of another edition of the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. Thank you for hanging with me for the past hour. If you like, I invite you to check out my show anytime at NicoleSandler.com. 
There's no paywall. Check it out. Hopefully you'll like what you hear and you'll come back. Or I'll talk to you next time. I'm in for Brad and Desi. Until then, (laughs) good luck, world.